thank you very much, Brother Changkun, for the kind introduction. Uh, I just brought my laptop just in case I'm not used to that one. <laughs> I can use this. Okay. Uh, anyway, I just actually I just recovered from COVID about uh, three weeks ago. I had COVID and uh, I had to quarantine in the room. Uh, my wife didn't get it, fortunately. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, so I had to quarantine, you know, and she would uh, deliver the food, leave it outside. You know, <laughs> then I had to take it in and eat. You know, after that I have to leave it outside for her to. <laughs> To take it, so we were not in contact for I think almost like nine or ten days. So you know, even as husband and wife, no contact. Okay. Anyway, it was an experience, uh, but uh, thank God that uh, I recovered. Uh, I think I heard Brother Sam and the whole family also got it. In Klang, there were also a few. Uh, you know, in time to come, uh, probably if you want to find someone who didn't get COVID, it's abnormal. You know. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Let's uh, okay. Let's uh, take care of ourselves and uh, be careful. Okay, this morning I want to share with you on the topic of uh, tossed to and fro by the wave. I don't know how many. Uh, I guess that you have uh, been in a. Some of you probably, I mean, have been in a trip on a boat before, right? Or maybe I, I mean, if you go for those uh, cruise, then you probably won't experience. Uh, being tossed to and fro by the wave because the cruise is such a big uh, ship, you know. But in a boat, you would, uh, you know, uh, be tossed to and fro. And uh, not too long ago, in fact, uh, we went to uh, Kuala Selangor and we were, we wanted to go and see the what sky mirror, you know. And so we had to take the boat, you know. And the boat is actually a speedboat, you know. And when the boat goes very fast, you will be like, you know, down, up, down, up, down, and then you will be like tossed everywhere, you know. So I'm sure it's not a very good feeling, right? You all, I'm sure we wouldn't want to have that kind of uh, feeling. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul actually warns the Christian in Ephesians about that. He says that being tossed to and fro by very, every wind of doctrine. I guess the, uh, the thing is that we got to ask ourselves that, you know, how do you... Oh, this button, okay. The question is, is it okay to be tossed to and fro? In James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavered is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that a man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we can see from this scripture that God as far as God is concerned, it is not okay to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, right? He wants someone who is stable. He doesn't want a double-minded person. So as Christians, we need to be stable. We should not be unstable in our ways. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9 says that, Be not carried away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not by means wherein that they that occupy themselves will not profit them. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, again, the Hebrew writer tells us that we must not be carried away by diverse and strange teachings. So the question is, is it okay to be tossed to and fro? No. As far as God is concerned, it is not okay. It is not okay. We cannot be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know, every now and then you will have a lot of new doctrines or 
you know, doctrines that has been existent, but suddenly it comes up and the people are being swayed by it. Even now with the uh, war in Ukraine, you know, people have ideas that, you know, it's, uh, Jesus is going to come, it's going to be the end of the world, and, and all kinds of uh, teachings and doctrines pop up. So the thing is that as Christians, we need to understand what the scripture teach and be stable. Why are we tossed to and fro? In fact, Paul tells us the reason, gives us the reason here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He says that we may be no longer children. So we cannot be like children versus uh, those that are mature. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, he says, Brethren, be not children in mind, yet in malice be ye babes, but in mind be men. So you see here that, you know, sometimes we ask the question, but I thought Jesus says that we need to be children. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, he says we need to be children. But is there a contradiction that Paul is talking about? No, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, he made it very clear. He says what? Be not children in mind. In other words, in terms of uh, uh, teachings and doctrines and all this, we shouldn't be like children. Somebody says something, you just follow. Somebody says something, you just follow. We shouldn't be like that. But in malice, in innocence, right? Children, we know, they are innocents and they are very easily swayed. And whatever we tell them as adults, they will believe quite easily, right? But as far as Christians are concerned, we shouldn't be like children. What are the characteristics of children? Number one, children tend to follow the crowd. Right? I'm sure that many of our experiences with our children would realize this trait. And if you have a big family with many children, you would also realize that the younger ones will just follow what the older one does. I mean, for my family, I, of course, we don't have the experience because I only have one son. No, no, children, no other brothers and sisters to follow. But in big family, you will have that, right? And this following sometimes can be positive at times, but it can be negative, right? And also, especially when they follow the peers to do wise actions and all that. So here, <clears throat> as far as Paul is concerned, Paul tells the Christians, he says, we shouldn't be like children because uh, just following whatever people say. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, the Christians in Galatia were like that. And Paul tells them, he says, But though we are an angel from heaven to preach unto you any other gospel that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. Let him be a curse. So Paul warned them, warned the Christians in Galatia, we don't just follow any teachings that come along. We've got to be careful. The second thing is that second characteristic is that children are easily diverted and distracted, right? They, they, they are being distracted very uh, easily, right? So, like following the crowd, it, this is not always a negative characteristic of children, but our children have all been great, you know, uh, uh, travelers. And those cars can get hot and hot after many hours of travel. So, when we occasionally at you know, a scream, a screaming in the back. On such occasion, we start to look for a particular type of large red vehicle. And then we will call out, you know, fire engine, fire engine, and the child will just, you know, look at it. They are easily distracted. I remember when uh, 
our son was young, you know. And uh, sometimes we want to feed the, the, the child, you know. They don't want to eat. And then so what we do is sometimes we have like, you know, TV on and then we will like talk to him and then we just take the food and put it in the mouth, you know, put it in the mouth. You know, we distract him a bit and then we just, you know, put it in the mouth and finally finish the whole bowl of porridge or whatever it is. But children are like that. They are easily diverted and distracted. But as Christians, we shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be distracted, diverted or distracted. And children are easily deceived. They are easily deceived because they have a very simple mind. So let us be for one. We need to grow as Christians into spiritual maturity. And it should be a desire for every Christian. I have been Christian for 45 years. I don't know, some of you maybe even longer than me. You know, but the question I think we all need to ask as, as, uh, as followers of Jesus, have we really grown in our Christian life? Or have we been stagnant, you know, all the time? Stagnant. And we, we, do, we just, you know, uh, we don't want to grow at all. You know, we don't care, we don't bother. Indifference to our Christian faith. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 tells us what? But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him. Who is the head, even Christ. We need to grow up. In 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sometimes we put a lot of effort in growing in our, maybe our other things, in the skill, uh, in our circular life, in our, in, our, in our work or whatever it is. But do we really put effort to grow in our spiritual life? In our knowledge of the scriptures, in our knowledge of the Bible, do we do that? And very often, you know, we kind of carry a bag that you come to church on Sunday. After that, when you go back, you just put the bag somewhere else and you never touch it at all. And then the next Sunday comes, you take that bag again and then you come, you know. From Monday to Saturday, you don't even actually look at the scriptures, don't look at the Bible, you don't even do anything about your spiritual life. And that is something that we need to be careful because spiritual maturity is very important as Christians. If we don't grow, then we will be like children. How do we reach spiritual maturity? First thing that we need to do is to put away carnal things. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 25 tells us, right? Uh, let's turn the Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse 22, Paul says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put away carnal things. Put away. I think when you talk about putting away, it requires effort. It requires effort on your part to do that, to put away the carnal things, to put away uh, sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, the Christians in Corinth were so carnal-minded that they had problems with each other. They were actually divisions that were going on. They were fighting among each other, taking the brethren uh, to court, you know, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And they practiced immorality and all kinds of things because they have not put away the carnal things. We need to put away, we need to change our mind and put an effort to do it. I don't know about you, I mean, when it comes to uh, food, you know, there are certain foods I'm sure you like and 
the certain foods that you don't like. You know? uh, years ago, I usually don't like to eat celery. I don't know about yours. I know many of y'all like celery, you know. And there was one time we went to US, you know. We visited uh, one of the brethren, and the brethren said that the only food, that, uh, vegetable that I have is celery. And so he cooked the celery, and uh, you know, of course, when you are there, you cannot just tell the host and say, oh, I don't like celery, I don't eat celery, right? So I just eat. After a while, I kind of learned to eat celery, and now actually I like celery, you know. Uh, and there are other foods as well, you know. Uh, perhaps some of y'all may not like uh, sushi, uh, this sushi or sashimi, you know, those raw, raw fish and all that. But there are some people who like it. But what I'm saying is that sometimes you learn to like the food, you know, when you eat long. But there's one, uh, one that I, uh, even like petai, you know, I, I also don't like petai, you know. But some people like it. But every now and then I just eat a little uh, because it's very smelly and all that. So I don't quite like uh, petai. And also the other one is that uh, these two uh, pork legs, you know, with vinegar. Because I don't like vinegar, okay? I'm not the jealous type. Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, I know. But what I'm saying is that it requires effort. It requires the change of mind. You may not like to do certain things, you know, in life. But you've got to put effort and change. Sometimes, you know, when you come to about studying the scriptures, it takes effort and you find it difficult. But you need to put effort in it. You know? Otherwise, you will give way to anti-spiritual behavior. And when the flesh controls us, there are contentious, strife, and sin. And this prevents growth in our Christian life. The, another thing that, the next thing that we need to do is that we need each other. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, tells us the solution, right? Uh, Paul says what? But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint and supply, according to the effective working by, by which every part does the share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Uh, this morning, uh, uh, we had the class right on the church. The church is the body. And everybody needs everybody. You cannot say that I don't need anyone. You know, I don't want anybody's help. Look at Proverbs 18 verse 1. Proverbs 18 verse 1. And this is a very interesting uh, scripture because sometimes we think that we want to be isolated, right? It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise decisions. Rages against all wise decisions. It's not good to separate yourself. The separatist follows his own desire, perhaps because of his pride. He's being very proud. And he separates himself from the congregation where he would find strength, encouragement, comfort, guidance, and protection. And he also uh, you know, separates himself from fellow Christians. And that's the time where the devil is, uh, you know, where you become an easy picking. Of the devil. And that's very, very dangerous. So we need to help one another. We need each other in the church in order for us to reach spiritual maturity. We need good leadership. I'm glad that here in uh, Kota Kumuning you have uh, very good elders and uh, deacons and leaders, teachers here to help you all to grow. 
You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, tells us that God gave uh, different functions, apostles, teachers, you know, evangelists, all this, so that the church may grow unto spiritual maturity. And that's very important. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And the things which thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Leaders that adhere to sound doctrine. This is very important because otherwise the church will be swayed to and fro. One, one day you believe in this doctrine, another day you go to another doctrine, and every time when there's a new doctrine comes up, you just follow. You know? in, first, uh, in Titus chapter 1 verse 9, it says, Holding to the faithful word which is according to the teaching, that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to convict again the yes. Sound doctrine is very important. Leaders are important. The next thing we need to do in order for us to reach spiritual maturity is that we need to progress beyond first principle. What it means here is that the writer of the book of Hebrew tells the, people, the Christians that you cannot be just stuck on first principle. You know, sometimes we are so set on the first principle that we don't go more than that. What I mean by progressing beyond first principle is that what I mean is that in our understanding and the use of God's word, in our willingness and ability to teach, you know, in our ability to discern right and wrong, truth and error. Let me ask you a question. Why did Lee Chong Wei become so good in badminton? What's the key word? Practice. Practice. And here the scripture gives us the, the principle. Use by reason of use. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, you know, uh, 6 tells us, right? Uh, uh, to chapter 6 and verse 3. By reason of use. You want to be good in, in your piano? You practice. You want to be good in any other things? You do what? Practice. You must use it. And the problem is that sometimes we don't use it. We don't, uh, let's say, you want to be a good soul winner, you need to practice it. Teach, reach out to them. Yes, you make mistakes, but it's okay. You learn, right? It's practice in our willingness and ability to teach others. That's very important. Progressing beyond the first principle. In our ability to discern right and wrong, truth and error. And there are some principles that we can follow which I will show you later. We need to cultivate our understanding and the use of the scriptural reasoning or necessary logical conclusion. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, he says, judging what is right. Righteous judgment. You know, sometimes people say, oh, you cannot judge. No, but Jesus says what? You do righteous judgment. It's not that you cannot judge, but you need to judge righteously according to God's word. And Jesus endorsed and used it when it comes to logical conclusion and reasoning. In Matthew chapter 22, I don't know whether, I'm sure you remember this passage, right? When the uh, seducers, let's turn to that. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to uh, 33. When the seducers came to Jesus and asked him and questioned him, right? And, he, and they gave him a scenario, you know, where this woman was married, first husband. First husband died, then the next uh, he married the second one, 
third one for until the seventh husband. And then they ask the question, after they have all died, whose husband will they be? And they say, oh, because of this, there's no resurrection. Because the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. But Jesus tells them that they are actually earth. They are, made, they are mistaken. Because Jesus says in uh, chapter 22 and verse 30, uh, 32, Jesus quoted the scriptures. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of dead, but of the living. <coughs> what Jesus was trying to imply to them was that God is the God of living. And all these people, as far as Jacob, Isaac, Abraham is concerned, they are still living. That goes to show that there will be a resurrection. There, there will be resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me, yeah. this is a post-COVID. Okay. So, Jesus used logical reasoning to actually tell and teach the people. It is necessary inference. <coughs> Can I have some water, please? <clears throat> Sorry. Necessary inference. What do you mean? That which, though neither expressly stated nor specifically amplified, yet is necessarily implied by the clear import and meaning of the language used. By necessary inference, we refer to the truths that are not directly or expressly stated, but must necessarily follow as a logical conclusion from what is stated. <coughs> Let's see the example. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So we necessarily infer that Jesus went down into the water before he came up from the water. That is the necessary logical conclusion that he actually went down before he went up. The scripture need not have to tell you that he went down and then he went up, came up, because the scripture says he came up. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we necessarily infer that God existed before creation, although it is not directly stated. God is there already. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when the scripture tells us that he that believeth, if he who believeth and is baptized shall be saved, it's necessarily inferred that if people don't obey this command, they are not saved. So it's very simple, right? Logical conclusion, necessary inference. Nevertheless, there are certain principles that must be adhered because our conclusion must harmonize with all that has revealed and known to be true because God is not a God of confusion. God is not a God of confusion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, and Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of thy word is truth. Let me give you an example. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4-9, some said that the law was not returning because they inferred everything has always stayed the same. Right? They thought that, well, everything is the same. Where is Jesus coming back? He's not coming back anymore. Their inference was flawed. 
although they have this influence, but they were full of wine because they willfully forgot to take into account of the flood. Yet God actually destroyed the flood. And that's what Apostle Peter argued about it. And that the nature of God, that God doesn't want people to perish. God is patient. So we need to take into the whole account of the full scriptures. Like I showed you earlier, right? In one instance, <clears throat> Jesus says that you need to be like children. In another instance, Paul says that you shouldn't be like children. Is there a contradiction? No, we have to look at the context and we have to look at the, the whole of some of God's word and the logical conclusion. So this is what I call reasoning, logical reasoning. And in, in, unless you are spiritually mature, sometimes you tend to be deceived by people. So we got to practice this and we need to go beyond the first principle. We need to use clear passages to explain the unclear passages. You know, people like very much about the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, there is a vision of the four living creatures. And in the book of Ezekiel, there is also the vision of the living creatures. And, but you know, in Ezekiel, the living creatures are being identified as cherubims. And so we know in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the, the description is very clear. In Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 20, let's turn to that. Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 20. He says, This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Sheba, and I knew they were what? Cherubims. They were angels. Cherubims are angels. So we look at clear passages of scriptures, and then we can understand those that are unclear. Let me give you another example. If you remember uh, about not too long ago, this guy, you know, says that uh, COVID-19, and he called the vaccine as the mark of the beast. And this is a reference from the book of Revelation. But is it the mark of the beast? What is the mark of the beast? You know, and people, you know, every now and then, like I said, people will use uh, things that happen in this world and come up with new doctrines and all that. In actual fact, if you look at it, the mark of the beast is actually taken from Revelation chapter 13, you know. And if you look at the context, Revelation 13, as far as the mark of the beast, is not about vaccine. You know, and the book of Revelation is actually probably one of the books that is, you know, uh, that has so much speculation and four uh, doctrines that encircle it. And it is, you know, uh, it is unlike any other book in the New Testament because its message is concealed in symbol, which often create an air of obscurity. And that's the problem, right? They don't look at the context. Let me just share with you briefly about this uh, mark of the beast. Uh, I mean, if you want to go into this topic, it's going to be very long, but I just share with you briefly. As far as the book of Revelation is concerned, the book of Revelation is not about signs and events preceding the second coming of Jesus or to some the end time because as far as the second coming of Christ, there is no going to be any sign. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be uh, something that will happen uh, without you actually knowing that it's going to come. 
in Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, it says that, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the Holy Prophet shall send his angels to show his servant the things which must surely take place. What it means is that, as far as the book of Revelation is concerned, a lot of things that are going to happen is something that is going to take place very shortly. And it is not about the sign of coming of Jesus. However, it does show a vision of how the judgment scene would be like because it also shows the final destiny of the devil and his angel and those that obey and remain faithful to God. The purpose of the book is to reveal through symbols the nature and character of the great conflict breaking forth between forces of good and evil. And these are the two scriptures that we need to look at in Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 and Revelation chapter 1 verse 19. And the book is designed basically primarily to encourage the Christian to be faithful in the face of all opposition and persecution, regardless of how terrible the onslaught may be. Remember in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, it says what? Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You see, at that time, the Christians were being persecuted. Who were the ones that actually persecuted them? There are two groups of people that actually persecuted them. The Jewish people and the Roman government. Isn't it right? The Jewish people and the Roman government. So they were being persecuted and that's why they need encouragement. And that's one word that uh, appears in the book very often, 17 times. And that's the word to overcome and to conquer. So the grand theme of the book of Revelation is about a war that's going on. And this conflict is ritual. It is something that is ritual. So, what's the beast actually? Revelation 13 verse 1, it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horn ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. In verse 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and a great authority. So if you look at it, this is the picture of the beast. It's a vision. It is a vision. Okay? But, thanks be to God, we also have the same vision in Daniel chapter 7. Four great beasts came out from the sea, divers from one another. They have the lion, the leopard, the bear, and another animal. And in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it's being revealed to us what this beast is. So you have the comparison between the beast in Revelation 13 and the beast in Daniel chapter 7. All describe the same thing. Right? Arise from the sea, ten horns, mouth speaking, speaks blasphemy, makes war with the saints, has power over nation, has power to continue 42 months, which is actually three and a half years. All this similar. It is similar. Okay? Notice, huh? Similar. Now, who this, do this beast represent in the book of Daniel? It says what? Four beasts are four kingdoms. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 17. <clears throat> it says, Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. And verse 23, it says, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. 
So there are four kings, four kingdoms. And we know that that actually represents the Babylonian, Middle Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire. And that's the same image that Daniel had in Daniel chapter 2. Now, in Daniel chapter 8, it tells us, to us the vision. It says, The ram which you saw having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. So, as far as the beast is concerned, it has reference to the Roman Empire. It is not referring to the current situation now that we have here. If you look at it, the book of Daniel is very clear. Okay? And this is not my interpretation. This is neither uh, anyone's interpretation. This is what the Bible says. Okay? If you look at the book of Daniel, it reveals to us what that beast is. It has reference to the Roman Empire. And that's why at that time, the book of Revelation, the people were, the Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire, the Roman government. And that was something that they were suffering. And God wanted to tell them that you will get through this. You will get through this. As far as the kingdom of God is concerned, it will last forever. No only kingdom can actually destroy. <clears throat> that no man may sell or accept one who has made who has the mark on the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is the wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Again, this passage has created so many problems, so many teachings, you know, so many uh, doctrines, false doctrines. And people always ask, what is this 666 is all about and all that. And some even uh, say that it has reference to Nero and all that. And if you look at the Wikipedia, you will see that they actually interpret it to be Nero because they have to translate from he Greek to Hebrew and then to Latin and then from Latin to Hebrew and, and all this. In actual fact, this is not true. Okay, this is not true because if you look at it carefully, we should also observe that this may not be asking for a particular man to be identified. The Greek word that is translated man is anthropos, which does not declare a particular gender but it is any human or humanity. And John adds that it's the number of a man. He omits the definite article before the man. Okay? And he is actually saying that the number represents a human number. This is the various translation that you can see. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has insight calculate the beast number, for it is man's number, and his number is six feet. This calls for wisdom, let him who has understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. In the AMP version, it says, here is the wisdom, let the person who has enough sight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the imperfect number of a man, and his number is 666. So it doesn't represent any particular person, but it is actually representing the number of a man. Okay, so basically, Fundamentally, what he's saying is that all who trust in man are destined to lose. Okay? The fundamental difference between lost and saved is the one in whom he places his trust, whether God or man. And this is true at, our, at any time. We need to place our trust in God. And finally, conclusion, the beast that we are talking about is not about today's vaccine. It, has repre it represents the Roman Empire. At that time, uh, opposing the kingdom of God. And the number 666 mainly has the idea that it is 
a man's number, a human number that will tend to fail. So the book of Revelation is not about end time. There will not be any signs because in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44 tells us. So these are an example that I've given you, some examples that I've given you, how we understand the scriptures. We need to look at clear passages and then interpret it with the unclear one. Finally, brethren, as Christians, we have the mandate to mature. We must grow so that we will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, Ye therefore, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, beware lest being carried away with the error of the wicked, ye fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. The question for us today, this morning is, have we grown in our spiritual life? Or are we stagnant? Dealing with just the first principle. What is our current situation in our Christian life? You and I need to examine ourselves. And that answer can only be answered by each individual member because we all are different at different levels. Thank you for your kind attention. The song of encouragement has been chosen. If you are subject to this uh, invitation, we hope that you will